Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Jordan. I'm on staff here with Salt Company as our college ministry pastor. You'll get the opportunity to see a picture of my lovely family. I definitely married up, have three beautiful kids. But before we get there, oh, look at that. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you can leave that up. I'll introduce them here in a minute. But I want to talk first just about who we are as Salt Company. If you were at our kickoff on Sunday, you've heard this before, but it's worth hearing again. We have three things that we say frequently around here, so we're just going to run through them together. Here at Salt Company, we are a family, not an event. Uh, we actually desire not just to meet on Thursdays as a large group, but to be on our campuses throughout our community in small groups where you can be known and share life. The ups and the downs, the good and the bad, we want to be real in community. And so we're going to have the opportunity for you to jump into connection groups after tonight. Uh, the second thing we say is we value forever more than semesters. And what we mean when we say that is we don't want to just be a college ministry, though we are that. We want to help get you connected to the local church because one day you will no longer be a college student. You will be old enough that if I'm still here, I will kick you out of our ministry because I'll say, you're 25, stop hanging out with 19-year-olds, right? <laughs> and all the 19-year-olds that are here, you're here to say, thank you, Jordan, for keeping us away from the creepy 25-year-olds. Can I get an amen? amen? Yes, absolutely. So we want to get you connected to the local church. You're here. Like I said, we are a part of Veritas Church. We have an auditorium downstairs that we meet at on Sundays at 8, 9.30, and 11. Would love for you guys to join us on Sundays. Last thing is we take Jesus seriously, not ourselves. So we open up God's word. We take him at his word. We want to follow him as best as we can. Uh, and we take grace seriously. We understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we all need a savior. And with that, following Jesus can be a lot of fun. Can I get an amen to that? Let's go. So we're here to, yes, follow Jesus, but have a lot of fun doing it. Sound good? Yeah. Love it. All right. Get that picture back up here. This is my beautiful wife, Ellie. Total dime. Had to say it. Uh, this is my son, Blaze. He is three. He's in the 98th percentile. Got his height from me. You can tell. Uh, Leo is two. And then this is Silas. He is six months old, soon to be seven months old. So love my family. Uh, one thing you should know about me is I'm just a very average dude. Like, let's be real. I played Division Three athletics. Very average. Sorry, Cohawks. It's just true. If you're a Division Three, hey, hey, that's okay. That's okay. My wife was D1. That's, that's okay, too. I was average. I was an average student. I'm below average height but I have an above average mustache, right? So it, it all balances out. I'm a very ordinary dude, but I, I grew up knowing I was average and therefore asking this question a lot. How good is good enough? You guys ever asked that before? Like, how good do I have to be? What is the, the benchmark that I need to make? We all ask this question in various areas of our life, whether you're studying in school, maybe you were trying to get in college, and you're like, how good is good enough to get into Kirkwood? And it's like, do you have a diploma, right? No, <laughs> sorry, I had to say it. Um, no, but you're like, now you're asking the question, how good is good enough to get into grad school, right? What kind of grades do I need to get to move on to the next level? Or maybe you are a college athlete, and you're saying, how good is good enough to get on the field? How good is good enough to train and reach new max outs? 
Maybe you're thinking more along the lines of like, what's coming next for jobs? And you're asking, man, what do I need to do to build my resume? What clubs do I need to be a part of? How can I get this resume maxed out so that I can be good enough when I graduate college that an employer wants me? Maybe you're looking for friendships and you're saying, what do I need to do to have friends? What do I need to be cool enough to fit in? Maybe you are really wanting a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're saying, how good do I need to be to get out of the friend zone? That was me for most of my life, right? It's like, man, I gotta, I gotta measure up. I gotta meet a standard. And here's what's true. If you are human, which you are, this how good is good enough question is not just about here on this earth. We're asking this question spiritually. How good is good enough for God? What do I need to do to measure up or meet a standard that God would one day look at me and say, you can come into heaven? We all want to know that. And this is about so much more than getting good grades, getting playing time, being loved by people. We're, we're asking the question, when I die and stand before God, what's going to get me in? Am I good enough? And the fact that you're in a church today, I know that you belong to one of two groups. One group is, you feel really comfortable here, right? Like, we just sang these songs, you knew every lyric, you showed up with your ESV study Bible, and you have, you have your highlighters out, and you're like, ready to dig in, you know, you've been praying all day for this. And to that, I'm like, I'm glad you're here. You know what? You belong here. But there's other people that are here, and you're checking it out, and you're uncomfortable. You're like, church freaks me out. This is weird. What were people just doing with their hands? Like, I don't get it. Like, do I fit in here? I don't own a Bible. I've never really heard about the teachings of Jesus, and I want to say, you belong here too. And much more than that, as we open up the Bible tonight, what I want you to know is one of those groups isn't necessarily right, and the other group is necessarily wrong. We've created this false dichotomy in our head that Jesus actually teaches against, and we're going to find that out tonight. So if you do have your thick ESV study Bible, pull it out. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. So this is God's Word. The Bible is authoritative. We're going to talk more about that next week. Uh, why we open up the Bibles. We believe that God has spoken to us, and therefore we want to hear from him. You don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from God. So, Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Here we go. You guys listening? If so, say, yep. yep. Love it. All right. So God himself has recorded this account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, he is writing through his spirit by a human hand of a guy by the name of... Luke. You got it. Luke was a physician, so he takes really good account. He's got all of his, his I's dotted and T's crossed. This is the longest book in the New Testament of our Bible. And when Luke opens up this letter, he says that he is writing to give an orderly account that we might have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. So he is primarily writing to teach us something, uh, primarily to teach us something about Jesus. And one unique fact about the Gospel of Luke is it contains the most of Jesus' teachings known as parables. All right, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus knew well enough that if he's going to communicate with people like us, he has to dumb it down a little. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Yes. So, 
Jesus is trying to speak on our level, but he doesn't want to just speak to our head. He wants to speak to our heart. And that's what I want us to do tonight. We're not just talking about intellect. We want to talk about what's going on in our heart. So we are in Luke 18, and I'm actually going to pick up in verse 10. The question we're asking is, how do we get right with God? You guys tracking? How do we get right with God? Verse 10, here we go. Jesus tells this story. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So here's what you need to know. There's two guys. You figured that out already. One is a Pharisee. How many of you have heard of a Pharisee before? These were the hyper-religious of the day. They memorized the first five books of the Hebrew Bible by the time they were 13 years old. They had over 600 rules and regulations, not only through written teaching, but through tradition. And these were people that said, I want to follow these to a T. I want to keep myself unstained from the world, and I will do every religious act possible. The word Pharisee actually means separate. They're trying to live separate. And then you have this other guy who is a tax collector. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday. Tax collectors were seen as traitors. They were seen as filthy oppressors, people that cheated their own people out of money. And when you just think about the Pharisee and the tax collector in those two groups I brought up on the front end, it's the same thing, right? The Pharisee's really used to being at the temple. He feels really comfortable there. The tax collector, not so comfortable. He feels like an outcast. What am I doing here? What am I doing with my hands? And the question is, which of these two is good enough for God? Maybe the answer is obvious as you just look at that, but we actually want to keep reading and see what Jesus has to say. So this story continues, verse 11. It says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Like, this guy is presenting his spiritual resume. Thank you, God, I'm not immoral like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, I give my money, I follow all the rules, I come to the temple, I pray all the time. And maybe that's like some of us today. It's like, God, thank you that I'm not like those people over there. Thank you that I don't party like them. I'm not even on social media because <laughs> I'm not like those people, right? I don't need the attention. I pray, I read all the time, I mean, I'm really busy serving God, but when I do have a, free, a little bit of free time, I pull up The Chosen on Pure Flix, right? That's, that's what I'm currently binging, you know? It's like, okay, there are people in this room that though you might not say it like this, that's a heart posture. You understand that you think you're better than somebody else in this room because of your religious performance. And that stands in stark contrast to the tax collector. We'll see what he says. Verse 13, it says, The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wow. This guy understood. He has no resume to bring to God. He's not talking about how much he's fasting, how much he's giving. He understands he has fallen short. He is a sinner. He has nothing to bring to the table. And that's some of us in this room tonight. We're saying, I don't belong here. 
right? I've been sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I've been smoking and drinking all summer. I, I cuss like a sailor. I chew tobacco. You, I mean, fill in the blank. I'm cheating my way through school. And you're saying, what the heck am I doing in a church? And would Jesus actually want anything to do with me? So, if you just stopped here, you might think, okay, what does it take to get right with God? As you look at the story, it's like, you have a stark contrast. One guy who has his act really cleaned up, and one guy who's really jacked up. Who's right with God? We might say, the Pharisee. He's been following all the rules. He's memorized all the books. But is that who's getting right with God here? Let's keep reading. Let's see what it says. In verse 9, at the beginning of the story, we have to see who Jesus is teaching to. And it says, He also, Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So Jesus is teaching this story to the Pharisees. He's teaching this story to the religious people. And he's trying to make a point here. You think you're right with God because of how you act, your morality, your ability to measure up? Well, let's see who the one is that is good enough for God. You've got to see verse 14, which comes at the end. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is insane. That Jesus looks at the religious elite and he says, you know who is justified or declared right with God? Not you. It's the jacked up one. And it's not because Jesus is here saying like, go have a free for all, do whatever you want. That's not what he's trying to communicate. Because what's fundamentally true about if Jesus has saved you is you will follow him. That's just an overflow of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But Jesus isn't necessarily getting at their behaviors, but he's getting at their heart. This is a matter of pride versus humility. Maybe we should look back at their prayers again and, and point this out. So we're going to look at the tax collector's prayer here real quick. I want to point a few things out to you. So verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all of the tithes that I get. So here's what we learn about him. He is focused on himself. The word I is said five times. This Pharisee cannot get enough of himself. We also see that he does not think he is in need. He doesn't ask anything of God. He simply tells him who he is. He relies upon his self-righteousness and good works and rather than comparing himself to God, he compares himself to other people. He looks out at other immoral people and says, thank God I'm not like them. And his posture is self-congratulatory. He wants to pat himself on the back because he's doing a really good job, right? And let's look at the tax collector, verse 13. Tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but be his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wow. Completely different change in posture, isn't it? Rather than pride, he is humble. This guy is beating his chest. He can barely lift his eyes up, and you will notice he's not comparing himself to other people. He's comparing himself to God, 
to the point that he's struggling even to look up, to lift his eyes to the heavens. He doesn't present himself as anything other than a sinner, and all he does is ask. He asks God for mercy. He says, God, be merciful to me. He is sorrowful over his sin. He stands far off, and he understands that righteousness is something he's not worthy of. He doesn't think that he can storm into the temple and earn his way to God. And Salt Company, you need to know this. This is not, this faith journey is not like your college physics class where everybody gets a 60%, but then your professor is going to grade you on a curve. God doesn't grade you on a curve. Here is the standard that God has set. Be holy as I am holy. In other words, be perfect as I am perfect. How many of you have lived a perfect life? None of us. We have none. None of us have lived a perfect life. And what we need to know is that God will not be mocked or tricked. He sees past your Instagram filter performance. We live in a day and age where all of us want to clean ourselves up and present ourselves as the hero of the story. We all want to look the best. We want to present the best image to the world around us. And Jesus sees right through it. Even our best actions, he knows that we are caught up in ourselves. We want the world to think we're great. And that's a problem to a holy God who has commanded that we would be holy as he is holy. That should freak us out a little bit if we want to get right with God, but he does say that one man in this story walked away justified. This would, this would also be called declared righteous. And did you notice how or why he was declared righteous? What did he ask for? Mercy. He asked for mercy. In the original word, the Bible was not written in English. In the original language that this was written in, another word for it is propitiation. Say that with me, propitiation. This is a Bible word that actually means satisfying the wrath of God on sin. I said it before, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this guy is asking for God's wrath to be satisfied. And here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. Meaning, Jesus came, God in the flesh, as a perfect human being, lived the life that you could not, and he took the wrath of God on your behalf when he went to the cross. He was beaten, mocked, stripped, and killed, and the wrath of God was poured out on him so that, the verse continues, in him, in Christ, we, we who believe or put our faith in Jesus, might become the righteousness of God. That is amazing news, that you getting right with God is not about you measuring up, but Christ coming down. Are you catching that? That's what the good news of the gospel is all about. And in Matthew 9, Shortly after healing a paralyzed man, Jesus is sitting with his disciple Matthew, a tax collector. We talked about him on Sunday. And the Pharisees were asking him, why are you hanging out with those people? What are you doing with them? 
And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 9. He says, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus did not come to save people who have it all together. He came to save people who are jacked up and know their need for mercy. So what's it going to take to get right with God? It's what we're all asking. We've probably been asking it for 20 years. And here's your answer tonight. Getting right with God is not a matter of writing your spiritual resume, but knowing your need for mercy. Or you could say it this way. Getting right with God is a gift for the sinner, not a reward for the self-righteous. That is amazing news. But it requires us to do two things. We can all sit back and say, wow, that's amazing news. Okay, if it is, you have two things you need to do tonight. The first, I'm going to give you a word, see. See. And what I want you to do is begin to see yourself rightly. Begin to see yourself as somebody who doesn't have it all figured out. Begin to see yourself as somebody who has fallen short of the glory of God. Begin to see yourself as somebody who does not deserve for God to give you a handout. And begin to see God rightly. Begin to see him as big and powerful and holy and perfect and set apart. And with that leads to this second word that we need to apply, seek. Just add a K to the end of that, seek. Which means you need to seek the mercy of God. In light of who we really are and who God really is, we have to say, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And here's the best news in the world. If you would seek the mercy of God and you would say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, he has already accomplished what you need for mercy because Jesus has already died in your place and risen again that you might be declared righteous tonight. 2,000 years ago, he already dealt with it. And the question is, are you willing to receive the gift or do you want to spend the rest of your life trying to earn it? One sounds better to me than the other. And here's what happens if we live this out. Okay, If we would see ourselves rightly, see God rightly, if we would seek the mercy of God, we would be a ministry that is just filled with mercy. Filled with mercy. Like a come-as-you-are community, we have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. We don't need to show up with a filter on. We don't need to fake it till we make it. We can show people the best parts of our life, the worst parts of our life. We can tell people when we sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we will be met with mercy. We will be a forgiving people, people who are quick to say, God is not surprised, and Jesus died for that very reason. And how can I help you follow him? We would be a people that are so confident, not because of who we are and what we do, but because who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's contagious. We all want to be fully known and fully loved, and we get the opportunity to do that because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And with that, we get to invite other people in. Invite other people in to say, stop trying to measure up. You're on a treadmill that will never get you to heaven. It is exhausting. Would you just believe that Jesus came, lived and died in your place, and be a recipient of mercy? And from that place that we would be a people that give worship to God because of what he's done for us in Christ. 
and we get the opportunity to do that right now. So I'm going to pray for us. Worship team is going to come back, and we're going to sing to God because he deserves it. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that though you are holy and we are not, though you are perfect and we are jacked up, you did not stand far off. You did not remain distant. You came close. In fact, so close that you put on flesh in the person work of Christ. Jesus, you lived the life we couldn't and died the death we deserve. And you didn't stay dead, but you resurrected three days later so that any who would recognize that they are a sinner in need of a savior, a sinner in need of mercy, a person who acknowledges that their sin deserves wrath, but that you took it instead of us, that we could be recipients of mercy tonight. Thank you that getting right with you is not about writing our spiritual resume, but knowing our need for mercy. And I pray for each heart in this room tonight that we would take that to heart. We would see ourselves rightly, we would see you rightly, and we would seek the mercy of God through the person and work of Christ. And Jesus, you deserve our praise. You deserve our worship. Would you be honored as we sing to you now? We pray this in your name.